0: everybody and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week I'm talking to Kaelig and uh, yes, he issued the challenge. I'm going to try and say his name, uh, Dulumont Prijean.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice job. I like that. Did I get close? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here.
0: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. It has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, Funny enough, yeah, you asked, did, did you take French? And I did in high school. And then I lived in Italy for two years. So my Italian is much better than my French. Uh, My grandmother was also French, so I would practice with her when I was (laughs) much younger than I am now. Um, But yeah, so we had you on episode uh, 397 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about design systems. I actually missed it, which made me sad. Yeah, I was
1: bummed, but that was all right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was probably one of the many, many weeks I was traveling last year, so... Um, yeah, let's let's just jump in and talk about you. Um do
1: you want to just give us an idea of who you are, what you do? Yeah, my name's uh, my name's Kalig. Um I was born in France and um until 2012 I was uh, was way back there in France and I always had an interest in UX I suppose. Um and programming kind of came in pretty early but not as deep, I mean, we we can go through that that kind of weird education track I took. But anyway, today I am based in California in Cupertino, and I work for Shopify as a UX development manager on the Polaris design system. Nice. Okay, so that that gives us an idea of where you've gotten to. Yeah, let's let's
0: roll back a bit and, and uh, talk about how you got started. So, um, how did you how did you get into programming?
1: So it was probably around eight or nine, and I see this QBasic thing on the mm-hmm. PC. Uh, we had an old uh, 486 or something like that, uh, DX2, I think, at the time, and it couldn't really run that much games, and, and we couldn't do much with it, but uh, it had QBasic, and I learned a little bit about basic through another friend. Uh, turns out his big brother knew programming, and so he told him like, just a uh, if-else go-to few right. things. And when you're eight or nine, you don't even speak English. This is basically the extent of <laughs> what we <you guys laughs> do. Right. So um, I ended up doing some weird, um, you know, the the book uh, where you, you choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying mm-hmm. to do kind of that, but with go-tos where right. the 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 program would prompt you to go from uh, to choose between different answers, and then you go to a different part of the program, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. Very advanced at this point, but it got me a little bit into programming. And I was really into computers, just building computers, uh, that sort of stuff. Later on, I discovered HTML, TSS through mm-hmm. Microsoft Publisher of old places. <laughs> oh, where man. You, you could export your publisher document to HTML. Uh-huh. And so I ended yeah. up, instead of using uh, your old good old PowerPoint or um, publisher format, to do a work assignment at school. I did it. I exported to HTML, burnt it on a CD-ROM with oh, an autoexec.bat wow. or something like that. And uh-huh. the, the teacher would put that into their computer and lo and behold, <laughs> the, 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 the work assignment would appear on their screen in a browser and they could click around and navigate the, the, the assignment, basically. It was like right. a kind of, yeah. Uh, and this is when I was like, you know what, this HTML thing, it works everywhere, whether you're on a PC at home or at school. Mm-hmm. It was still the time where you had so many versioning issues between versions of Microsoft Office. And because we had a crappy computer at home, the, I could only <laughs> run a crappy old version of Office. And so, uh-huh. um, so this was, that was still like, in France, right? Yeah, that was back in France. Yeah. Um, and, and this is when I was like, this is HTML thing. It has some legs. I should probably uh-huh. look a bit in, more into it. And then got into uh, front page. Uh, Not the best experience, (laughs) but (laughs) allows you to build some stuff. Right. Uh, PaintShop Pro, the kind of thing. So I got into web design and uh, building web pages without even knowing how HTML and CSS work, but just Uh assembling pages. And by then I'm like 13, 14, whatever. Right and uh and i get into dreamweaver uh, at 16 or 15 and and then i start looking at wait there's a this thing called a style sheet and that's running in the back i have no (laughs) idea what it does (laughs) not one of those (laughs) what is this thing the cascade and it took me years to understand the cascade oh yeah (laughs) it takes everybody years to understand
0: the cascade it's like oh cascading (laughs) style sheets and then it's like oh wait this actually cascades and then it's okay i still don't get what it's doing and then eventually it's like oh okay there's this rule that i missed and oh and then there's this other rule that i missed so yeah don't 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 feel too too dumb because
1: everybody goes through it and i think the inspector did not use that it did not was not a thing like the f12 developer tools were not a thing all right uh i was basically hand code, I mean, I was doing Dreamweaver plus Fireworks, which was great, like Dream. Oh like yeah. Micromedia had built a mm-hmm. pretty good web development kind of thing. Uh, for static websites, it was fantastic. And then I discovered, wait, when you do rollovers on, on, little, on those little images or menu items, it calls the function in JavaScript. I had no idea how it works. I didn't know what the DOM was. And so at this point, I'm like 16, 17. But I keep making websites and I get into PHP and I get into MySQL, I get into server management and I get a little bit deeper into jQuery, that sort of stuff. But I still don't really understand how this all ties together. I just make stuff, make website, make communities, forums. I make some sort of Facebook for my class. Facebook did not mm-hmm. exist at the time, so right. it's like kind of a forum community thing, hand coded. Uh, right. Not scale it as well as Zuck, as you can, you can tell, but... <laughs> Uh, so this is when I really start getting into lots of web development languages, and so this is kind of my introduction to programming story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. So, so you built like a, essentially a forum or a social network for your class as kind of you know one of the first, I guess, web apps for lack of a better term.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know what AJAX was. It existed, but I didn't know how to make it work. Um, XML was kind of weird for me. XSLT, I had heard of it. I was like, what is is this? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but by doing lots of view source on lots of websites, I started understanding how these things link to each other. Um, And as I, so I do do my uh, baccalaureate in mathematics, Mm -hmm. physics, and biology. I barely pass. I was like, not a great student. Spent way more time Building websites and playing StarCraft, than actually studying. <laughs> and then I do the same thing in university. In university, I join a psychology university. Lots of cool classes about human-computer interaction. So that there's some good takeaways uh-huh. there. But aside from that, I was not not into what was taught to us. Right. Um, I take a class about Scheme. I was like, what the, what what is this? <laughs>
0: Functional programming, baby.
1: <laughs> yep, and I was. Totally into the procedural, you know, jQuery uh-huh. type of thing to do it, do things. Don't, um, so, uh, so yeah, not, yeah. not very yeah, <laughs> not very attracted by functional programming at the time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know web design and web development could be a job because for me, you had to right. go to a computer science degree and, and yeah. take, do all these amazing schools that cost a lot of money. So, of course, um, you went and got a CS degree, right? No, no, yeah, I <laughs> not exactly. So I, I didn't even know I could, I could do that for a job. And because I started making quite a few websites and one of my communities started becoming the largest community for a, a, like it was a fan site for a band called Placebo. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, some, at some point my mom is like, so uh, you're four years into your degree, you don't have a diploma, you're slacking at school. Mm-hmm. Um, you're either going to find a job full-time or a you out or you finish your, your degree. I was like, well, the degree thing, probably not going to happen. Um, what were you studying for your degree? Uh, psychology. Yeah. Psychology. Okay. So not going to happen. Uh, clinical psychology, not really my thing. Uh, <laughs> <turns out. laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I look at, into my options, uh, getting kicked out, yeah, no, not really. not what you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, playing StarCraft for a living, I was kind of semi-pro, but not, not gonna make money from that. So right. that, that's fine, just gonna ditch that option. Uh, so psychology university, not gonna happen. What is the next option? Well, finding a job. Uh, McDonald's, I had done, I've been there, done that. No, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> not, not gonna go for that career. Uh, flipping burgers and all is fun for a bit but not for life Um, for me at least no offense to people who are doing that like please do whatever you want this is this is your thing
0: well the mcdonald's career track it eventually moves you into management then you're managing other people who are in a job that they don't see as their career track and so you get variations on how serious they are about the job which makes it hard i think
1: but yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I saw as well in France. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I look for job opportunities. Um, my now brother-in-law told, tells me about this, this thing uh, that I should look up online. I go to their website. I'm like, this is a job site. I had no idea what I was doing. I interview for this company and it turns out we hit it off immediately with the, with the boss. And, oh, nice. and I got hired. Like completely out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this a small company out where you grew up or? Yeah. So it uh, it was like 10 minutes away from where I grew up. Um, and it's a small web agency. It's still alive. Uh-huh. It's called Luna Web. Um, and I was employee number two, three, something like that. Oh, wow. And yeah, lots of fun, lots of lit- small contracts, small and pop shops, uh, type of work, and, and then we got a little bit into bigger brands. But at this time, I still have no idea what I'm doing in JavaScript. <laughs> so you're, at this point, you're probably wondering, when does the JavaScript, when does this guy learn JavaScript?
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You've been chasing
1: everything else. Yeah. Um, but I, I got really good at, um, so I knew some PHP, I knew a tiny bit of JavaScript. And I got really good at HTML, CSS, accessibility, performance, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. At this time, you could get away with, without really knowing JavaScript and still yes. get a job if you knew a bit about web design and all that. Yeah. Uh, and I still think you can do that in your career today, but it's coming becoming more and more challenging. It's, it's a different
0: way of doing it, but yeah.
1: Right. Because
0: I know people who write React or Vue or Angular that
1: don't really know JavaScript. They just know the framework. Mm-hmm. And so because we start building more and more complex websites, I get to do more and more JavaScript. And right. by JavaScript, I mean jQuery at this point. Yep. <laughs> um, but in jQuery, you get accustomed to how to play with the DOM and how to mutate the DOM and, and all these things, um, which are good enough like for making mom and pop websites. Or even, like, even most brands were using jQuery at the time, so mm-hmm. why not? Uh, but I don't become a big JavaScript expert at this point uh, at all. And after five years at this company, I'm like, "Huh, I want to speak English in my day to day. This, this is ridiculous. We're writing in French into our English code because, I mean, programming <laughs> languages are are in English. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, most of them, at least uh, yep. that I know of. And then all of a sudden, you introduce French concepts in there and comments uh-huh. that are in French, and it's it's a really weird way to reason about code. You have to do this back and forth between." English concepts and idioms and French. And I was like, this is too much cognitive load. And, and France is not really where the UX uh, community is shining at this time. Like uh-huh. The US and, uh, and France are, like, uh, sorry, the US and the UK are way more advanced than France at this point in terms of the UX craft.
0: right. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it, I would love your support. If you wanna go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one, Max out.
1: And so um, I applied to literally anywhere that would take me. Uh, It's 2012 at this point. and uh, I'd send CVs everywhere that it would take me. I, I don't care. I just want to speak English. Uh-huh. And I ended up, um, so I'd learned how to make responsive websites at, uh, by this point. And I get a job at the BBC to work on their responsive news website. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is where I discovered TDD, frameworks like Jasmine and how to test your JavaScript. I was like, uh-huh. what? This is amazing. <laughs> I had no idea you, you could like, do all of this because, I don't know, at my previous jobs, we wouldn't really write much tests. And, right. And so we could get away with it. But all of a sudden, we start working on, I'm starting to work on a product, on an agile team, and I learn all about these processes. And so I moved to London to, to go for that job. And this is where I get really introduced to prop, like proper JavaScript coding practice. Right. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And that was at BBC. Yeah, yeah. BBC's got some really top talent when it comes to uh, performance, inclusive design, um, responsive websites, that sort of stuff. They they really were pioneers at the time. So I was super lucky to be kind of a, a junior bystander. Uh-huh. Bystander, yeah. It's really good. Uh, oh, and I should mention the the way I got this job is probably because uh, I published a book in. 2012 about CSS, and more specifically, SAS. So I, uh-huh. was, I was very attracted by the, uh, the power of bringing programming into CSS. Right. That's why I really got into SAS. And I saw the power it has to bridge that gap between designers and engineers. Kind of my, what I prefer doing, uh, what I, where I'm the, the happiest is when I get to dump the designer's brains into mm-hmm. code. And so that right. everyone is on the same page. We all speak the same language. I really like that. Right. That's
0: honestly, that that's just amazing. And it's funny to me too, that I guess funny is not the right term, but I find it very interesting that you decide, okay, this is the next step I need to take, right? In order to level up. And in your case, it was, you know, I need to learn English. And so you just went and did what you had to do to get there, right? I, I think a lot of people, they get in and then they decide that for whatever reason, they can't do it, right? It could be, uh, that they talk to somebody who told them that because you look a certain way or you're a certain gender or this or that that it's impossible. And what I really find is that if you really want it and you're willing to go out and just, you know, apply everywhere, do the work, just get in there and get get in the grit, that you can you can really create a lot of opportunities for yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that said, I want to acknowledge that I'm an able-bodied white. Cisgendered male. Uh, I didn't have a family to support, or uh, three jobs to work at the same time. You know, super privileged right there. Uh, grew up in a in a great area of France with access to really good education and that kind of stuff. So, also want to make sure I'm acknowledging this because yes, the grit is important, but I was also in that position to be able to take off and just go to London just like that.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's something to that, but at the same time, I honestly, I've seen people come out of poor areas that, you know, are in the minority, both gender and race. And what it really boiled down to is they just got in there and got to work. Right. Um, I think you can overcome it with work. You know, you, you might have to do more work. I don't know. I'm, I, am I, I hear stories, um, you know, but yeah, it's, what it really boils down to, to me at least, is is getting the work done. And I it, I just find it inspiring that it's like, hey, look, this is what I want. You know, and you go and apply. And honestly, you know, given your level of experience, I mean, they had some reason to take you seriously. You would written a book and things like that. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you're a guy from France that, you know, you're you're going there really to learn English, right? So you don't even speak English well. And, you know, you just went out there and proved that you could do it
1: yeah my english level at that point was uh uh yeah it was i could understand what the most most sentences meant but uh-huh. uh, it was kind of tough in the first uh i remember the first stand-ups at the bbc uh yeah. with people with various accents that i have never heard at this point oh right because <laughs> uh, yeah. so the american tv accent is like super easy to understand because oh, of, yeah yeah and tv and all that but it's everywhere so- all of a sudden, there's an Irish guy and then a a, a Welsh, and <laughs> yep,
0: yeah, I lived in Italy for two years, and when I first got there, at least, there was a guy from southern Italy near uh Naples, and we we'd walk past his newsstand every day and he'd talk to us, and I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> right? you know the the other the other American guy that I was you know living with at the time, you know, because we were missionaries, and you live in you work together in mm. pairs. You know, so the other missionary, he's, you know, he could carry on a conversation with him. No problem. But
1: yeah, <laughs> it's
0: definitely something I identify
1: with. Yeah, um, it, it takes time. But then then you, yeah. you start hearing those things more and more. And then yeah. after a few years, I'm sure after a few months, you, you already started picking up. Yes. better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so the same happened for me. Uh, I got to communicate my, my ideas better. Uh, learned a ton about just agile development in general. And uh, stayed a few months at BBC, and then I wasn't sure how to navigate the... It's a beast. Like, it's a huge company, uh-huh. and it has awesome people, but it also is very hard to um, to be scrappy sometimes. Oh, yeah. And so, and so as a pretty junior person at this point, I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. I, I still want to be on a small team, and my team had mm-hmm. grown a lot. And so I move on um, to a startup, which was... Uh, I'm not sure I should say that on air, but it was kind of chaotic at the at this point. Um, lots of drama, lots of weird technical choices between the time I had signed my contract and the time I joined, it was like the strategy has changed. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> lots of pivoting going on there. So in there, uh, by that time, I had kind of learned how to do some JavaScript. I'm not really good at Node, uh-huh. but I can navigate... Uh, uh, a lot of a lot more JavaScript patterns and best practices, and advocate for them in, right. a, in a in a different context. So it's super useful. Um, and so so I get there. Uh, it doesn't go super well. After a few months, uh, I left. The cool part is that through that company, I, I met my wife, who was a friend of the co-founders. So oh, there you go. So hey, not a not a complete waste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I go to The Guardian to work for the same guy I uh, joined the BBC for. Um, oh, cool. And It's, so it's funny kind of how that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I work at The Guardian, and there they are obsessed about performance and tooling about performance. Uh-huh. Um, and I learn quite a bit about Node, both through my job and through a friend who became kind of a Node mentor right. of mine. He, right. Taught me so much, and he just released a book, uh, a French book about Node, and yeah, I started making my own tools um, and started really getting the value out of out of JavaScript because by until then I was basically just doing whatever the project was already doing and not really yeah. understanding what was going on. So it it sounds like you know these
0: were legit programming jobs, right? So was, or was the balance of your work mostly
1: in the design arena? Uh, Lots of SaaS SaaS architecture was my specialty. Uh Um, Yeah, again, like trying to understand how designers think about a certain pattern, uh, an idea, uh, how they systemize things such as colors, breakpoints, all that kind of stuff. And then translating that into the developer lingo um, so that it would make sense to everyone. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, there's tons of work that used to be super valuable. I don't know how valuable a SaaS expert is today on a team, but at that point, we were using SaaS very heavily and it uh-huh. came in super handy. Right, that makes sense. So you worked at The Guardian, you worked at uh, um,
0: BBC. You know, at what point do you wind up uh, moving out to the States? Because you're in California now
1: yeah so uh there's still one more job in in london which was the financial times um because what i was doing at the at the guardian i started talking a lot about it especially sas related Uh stuff at this point i go to a ton of meet as many meetups as i can to learn about javascript about um about more css kind of ways of doing things and uh yeah so i joined the financial times and they are really well known especially the ft labs team they're really well known for their ex- excellent talent in JavaScript. And it was a huge learning like, opportunity for me. They're really, really talented folks. Um, they have come up with JavaScript stuff. Like this small team in London came up with JavaScript stuff that the rest of the world is using. And I really liked that. I, I respected that a lot. Um, and being part of that team was just, again, a huge change to level up my JavaScript skills. Uh, to at that point, I'm uh, able to so I work on a team that's building a CLI tool and mm-hmm. builds node services, and so I really learned to play around with node way in mm-hmm. a way, way more advanced way right and I'm still dabbling. I'm, i don't at this point, I don't have a computer science-y way of approaching things. I don't even know what functional programming is at this point <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it's it's a lot of fun so um, it's three, by that point, it's like three years in London right? and my wife uh, decides to move to the US to work for Apple in California and I have to leave the Financial Times, very sad about that and I joined Salesforce um, and at Salesforce, this is where I meet. You probably know him because I think you've interviewed him, uh, Brian Lonsdorf. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we've had him on yeah. at least some of the shows.
0: Yep, we had him on a few months before you.
1: Yeah, and I. so this is where my mind gets blown because I was working next to him on a daily basis and he's this functional JavaScript guru. Right. <laughs> um, and he comes up with patterns I've never heard before that it's really hard to get my head around, but by him being very patient and explaining to me how those things work, how those concepts, uh, Tied to each other and why it's beneficial. I start getting into functional programming, uh, learned the the concept of side effects, and learn all these kind of things that I had no idea about, <laughs> like really. And so, mind completely blown. Um, I couldn't explain to someone what a monad or comonad or a functor is. Actually, functor I could probably explain, but this is that this is next level shit. <laughs> and so yeah. Um, So this is where I think I started really leveling up. Not that it's extremely useful in my day-to-day job today, but it's good to be able to talk to other tech leads at the company and being on the same page and know what they're talking about.
0: Nice. Are you freelancing or moolining? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own? Every week we have a group of developers at various stages of a freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. So now you're at Shopify and you're the UX or a UX development manager at Shopify.
1: So what, what does that include? So UX dev, UX development at Shopify is a craft that emerged uh, about a year, year and a half ago, um, where we had front end developers, mm-hmm. but we noticed a tendency, sorry, uh, like a, a trend in web development where there's people who are really going to be into the Webpack side of things and GraphQL, maybe, and the, the, you know, more infrastructure, back end, mm-hmm. JavaScript stuff. Uh, with more of an engineering mindset. And then there's people who are closer to the experience itself, so more on the front of the front end. And so we call that UX development for the front of the front end and web development for the back of the front end. I gotcha. Um, So what I do today is that I lead a team of, what we're called is the tooling team of Polaris, which is our design system. And what we do is that we run our uh, shipping pipeline, development contribution infrastructure, make sure things run. Uh, And we apply DevOps principles to our design system, our component library. Um, And yeah, we're a small team of four folks out of a bigger team of about 20, 25 folks. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, We build stuff that allows developers and designers to have access to the same resources, always latest at the same time across all of our platform, across all of our our stacks. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of taking design and trying to scale it. So that's kind of what I'm doing uh, with that team. And I don't do much coding those days. Um, Uh Most of what I do is Figma plugins or little JavaScript prototypes uh, here and there, which I really enjoy. But uh, the big part of the coding is done by uh, my developers. Gotcha. So what are you working on now, I mean, besides Polaris? Uh, one thing I'm working on right now is called the Design Tokens W3C Community Group. Okay. The goal of that community group is to assemble people who uh, use design tokens, can, which I can talk about a little bit, and also people who build tools like the Adobe and the Figma and the sketches of this world who are building big design tools that are used by millions of designers and developers, uh, how do we get a foundational schema or language that can scale design uh, such as colors, fonts, uh, you know, all your styles and make them available both in production and to your design tools. Right. And uh, just to give a bit of context about what a design token is, it's think of it as the, one of the indivisible parts of your design. So if you're thinking about a button, in a button you have border radius that's going to define how curved it is on the outside. That could be a token uh, uh-huh. that defines that particular curvature. Uh, what about the background of the, uh, of, the, of the actions in your app? What about the size of the text? What about uh, the color of the text? So if you break down each element into its smallest parts, you have a design token. And then you can abstract them in a way that that is uh, usable by any of the platforms that you have, any of the stacks that you have. And yeah, just allows you to scale design at this point. Nice, that sounds really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm super lucky to have uh, my good friends, uh, Gina Ann and folks like Danny Banks from Amazon to uh-huh. work on that uh, together. Uh, we just launched a call for editors that are gonna be in charge of editing each module of the spec. And a little bit like the CSS spec, but for design tokens. Um, And yeah, lots of really cool contributions from both the JavaScript community, the design community, the CSS community. Yeah, lots of lovely folks who are eager to, to help.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
1: So when is the spec gonna be released, do you think? That's a good question. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. Initially, I went into that project thinking, hey, we're going to probably wrap up like one or two modules in six months. Uh, It turns out (laughs) uh, when you create a W3C community group, there is a ton of material that you can read and and get into. And I wanted to be pretty thorough on understanding how people build specs before and how we're going to work before I even start the work. Um, And so my role as a chair is to to kind of find like what is the cadence we're going to meet, what is expected from editors, what is expected from contributors, how we're going to achieve consensus on various things that are going to be discussed, Um, uh, how to make sure we have a representative, like diverse mass of folks who are going to be contributing to this and not just people in the Western world, for example. Um, or people in San Francisco, which is an easy trap to fall in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, cool. If people want to get involved in that community, is there a good way to do it? Uh, uh, sorry dot 3org slash community slash design tokens, or you can follow design tokens on Twitter and mm-hmm. look it up. Uh, there's a bunch of, of links in there and uh, the, Aside from that, uh, yeah, I would love for people to talk about their use cases, how they scale design, how they use design co- tokens, or would see potentially design tokens be useful to them. And even if you just want to review and from time to time leave a comment, maybe not, maybe just even a thumbs up on a comment somewhere in GitHub. We have a GitHub repository that, where everybody's discussing those ideas, um, super helpful. Nice. All right, well,
0: we're kind of at the end of our time. Uh, anything else that you've got going on that you want to talk about?
1: Uh, no, After no, I, I'm just excited because after years of PC drought and just moving to Mac and not really enjoying lots of uh, AAA game titles on my Mac because Macs aren't really good for gaming, I finally <laughs> built a PC for myself last weekend and I'm <laughs> really liking it. Uh, I feel like a, a kid at Christmas just uh, putting together all these pieces and, and getting back with my love of building computers and overclocking. So uh, it's just a, such a good, fun hobby to have. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Well, do you have some pics, some things you want to shout out about on the show? So right, okay, I have one pick. Uh, this is a book that our CEO uh, Toby Ludka has been telling us to to read across the company as something like that he really liked, enjoyed uh, reading, and it's called "The Courage to Be Disliked," and it completely made my brain do a one eighty in terms because I, I came from a more Freudian approach to. Uh, solving problems and, and thinking about mm-hmm. uh, interrelationship kind of issues. And the Adlerian psychology, which is explained in that book, I uh, had no idea existed. And it's really good to challenge my assumptions of how people work, what kind of stuff is their job, what is your job as a person. I'm not saying I'm completely adhering to the entire book, but it's a, such an interesting read, um, especially when you come from a more more Freudian background like me. Um so yeah, if you want to get your 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 head um uh, or brain 180 like I did, i totally encourage at least listening to the audiobook. It's a, it's an interesting format. It's a discussion between a philosopher um, a philosopher and uh, a person. And and they're having this chat and it's it's yeah, it's a weird format, but it's interesting. Interesting. I'll
0: have to check it out. It sounds really, really interesting. All right, well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with a couple of picks. So, um, so first off, I've been listening to a book, and it's, it's a book that my brother recommended to me a while back. Um, he, he just gave me a whole list of fantasy books that I should check out. Uh, this one is The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, and uh, really, really enjoying that. Um, also on Adventures in Angular today, we talked a little bit about authoring books. And so I'm going to throw out a couple of picks related to that. The first one is um, I took a course called self publishing school and I'm trying to get an affiliate link so that I can, you know, because um, it, 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 their referral thing saves you 250 bucks and puts 250 bucks in my pocket for every person that signs up. And if I can give you a discount folks, I will. Um, the other thing is, is uh, it just walked me through the whole process. It was still a ton of work to write a book. But I I really um, worked through a lot of stuff with them. And uh, I bought their VIP package. So I also had a coach that I could reach out to periodically and ask
1: questions. So anyway, um, I'm pretty happy with that. Talk talk about the the book. I'm really curious. Um, So did you take that course at the beginning of your book writing exercise? Or did you take it uh, towards the end? Okay, cool.
0: So I had tried to write a book before. And it just turned out to be, I had no idea where to even start. Yeah. Because um, I thought, oh, you just sit down and you just start writing. And yes, but no. Um, and so they kind of walk you through the idea. They have you write, write out a mind map and then, um, you know, you kind of flesh things out and then you sit down and you actually just write, you know, and you have to learn how to not self-edit while you write because that was where I'd get stuck, right? Is like, well, what's the best way to put the, blah blah, right? And eventually what I figured out was I have to get, sit down and I have to get through all of the bad writing to get to the good writing. And so I could sit down and I could put the ideas on paper and that wasn't a big problem. And then I could go back and say, yeah, it was bad writing to start out with, but the ideas are all here and so now I can flesh it out. And so that, that kind of helped me to put some meat on the bone and things like that. Um, and I, I really, really enjoyed uh, the process of writing the book. Um, I still need to do the audio book, um, but the the book, the ebook and the physical book you can order on Amazon. Um, it's the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. And related to that, I'm working on putting together a 12-week co- uh, group coaching where folks can join in and, you know, I mean, three months is plenty of time to do a reasonable job search. Um, unless you have no experience, that we should be able to find you a job you're going to be happy with. Um, I mean, there are a few caveats to that, you know, but it's the three month caveat, not the, will you ever find the job? And that's just, if you're in a really sparse market, you're in a market where there aren't a lot of programmers or things like that and you're brand new. And, you know, so if you have a number of things working against you, then that makes it harder. But if, if you're in an area with a healthy tech community, um, you know, even if you don't have experience or if you have experience, but in your you're in a sparser community, I mean, people are hiring, um, they're hiring remote devs, they're hiring, I mean, there there are a lot of options. And so uh, the book walks you through that. But you know, I wanted to put together some coaching because people are still asking me questions about it. Um, the other, so a few other ones, I'm also going to do a group coaching on just how to stay current. Um, I talk to a lot of people, uh, we cover a lot of topics at devchat.tv. So how do you know what to cover? Right? How do you know what to learn? How do you know, you know, and so we're, we'll talk through the whole process of actually building a plan and knowing how to level up in these areas, right? And how we stay current at devchat.tv and know what to cover on our podcasts and things like that. Um, and then I'm going to put together uh, another one that's on starting your podcast because I get asked about that all the time and it's like, well, why not? We've got the whole process figured out at devchat.tv. So if people want to start a podcast, it doesn't even have to be a programming podcast then you know we'll do some group coaching around that so well it's probably going to be a mix of like um here's a presentation for 45 minutes and then we'll do q a as long as people have questions right and then you know we'll we'll do it again the next time so it's hey here's how you get you know here's how you get started here's how you start recording here's how you get your artwork done here's how you get your website set up here's how you write and just walk through the whole process so anyway um, looking at all is of those there a mailing
1: lists, is there a mailing list to be on that podcast, uh, course.
0: Yeah. If you join the devchat.tv chat.tv, uh, mailing list, oh, sweet. Then, yeah. totally and, and I'm, I'm working on, um, putting together, um, a landing page for it. It's going to be at devchattv slash workshops. And, and that'll take you to a place where you can sign up for all this stuff. Um, and I'm trying to put together a little bit more infrastructure around it, like a forum and things like that so that, you know, people can ask questions and those questions will stick around, um, which is the only reason why I'm really not super keen on starting a Slack channel, even though I like being, having people be able to ask questions in real time. Um, I want the questions and the answers to be around so people can reference them. So, but yeah, so that's the plan. Um, and we'll do weekly calls for all of those. And so people can jump on and learn how to, you know, stay current or learn how to get the job they want. It's amazing to me, even today, how many people are in jobs they don't like. And that honestly, if if you've been in this industry for a year or more, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to move, move up and move into something that's going to make you happy. So anyway, uh, that's what I've got going on. Um, I didn't mean that to be a pick of all the stuff that I'm working on, but there you go. Um, and yeah.
1: So, Thank you. That's, that's awesome. I, I really like how you're giving back to the community. It's, it's super valuable. Yeah. Well, it won't be free, but... No, but it's, it's still scaling your knowledge in a way. And so, yeah. you know, what people get out of it is obviously uh, yeah. tremendous. So, yeah. Well, and that's, that's
0: what I'm all about is, all right, you know, how, how do we help people? And it's not even about having a great tech career, but it's about having a tech career that allows them to be the people they want to be and do the things that they want to do. And so, for some people, that's more open source, and for some people, it's I want a job that pays enough to where I can drive out to the countryside every weekend and go rock climbing. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it is, you know, let let's let's get you there. So, all right. Well, um, if people want to find you online, Kaleg, where do they go? Uh,
1: at Kayleigh on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open if you want to talk about anything related to what I mentioned earlier. Uh, being somebody who's moved countries multiple times uh, and moved jobs a bit as well, I'm happy to talk about career-related stuff. If something's scary to you or you're not sure moving countries is the right choice, uh, happy to chat about that. And uh, if you want to geek out about design systems, uh, you can find me on the design system Slack and uh, just always happy to, to chat on, on Twitter, like I said. Sounds good. All right. Well,
0: uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming and just chatting with me. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely lovely. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, we'll have another story next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.